goodness Ugh, the halloween episode it's crazy man it's crazy we're already here it's crazy i already thought thinking about christmas presents um but man oh man i mean we i i have to say it publicly but you won sober october halloween got me man i, I went to a halloween party had a couple drinks and uh but i mean 27 days 27 27 days, that's, that's a days. Good no yeah you know i am happy uh to win uh, it was productive. I wish you would have told me sooner because I enjoy <laughs> my wine during Billions and the series finale. I had my cranberry juice. I would have liked my wine, but it's good. It's okay. I understand. Um, and uh, I'm just excited because, you know, guys, you know what? I'm going to have a new Walt Disney up there soon because the winner was getting Walt Disney with the camera. I'm so excited. I can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good one, man. It's a good one. Oh, I'm super excited for this show. It's going to be jam-packed. A lot of things going down in Hollywood. A lot of new shows. A lot of shows saying bye-bye. Um, and then, of course, we have some deaths in Hollywood that definitely hit everybody hard. Um, but we're going to do the best we can, power through, and you know, report on everything as accurately as possible because you know if it's happening in Hollywood – we are talking about it, but I mean, let's let's not let the fans wait any longer. Let's get into this thing. Hello, everyone. So you want to start a podcast but have no idea where to start? Well, Crazy Ant Media is here to help you. We want to assist you finding your VFE. What's VFE, you ask? Well, that is your voice, your format, and your equipment. These are the three biggest essentials you need to start your podcast. All those hours watching nonstop YouTube videos or all those random website links, those are done. Just hop on a Zoom call with us and we'll talk about everything you need to know to create your own podcast and find your voice. Plus, we will send you home with a 12-page packet over everything we just discussed is very in-depth it is definitely a must need while trying to start your first podcast contact us at info at crazyantmedia.com today so that you can start finding your podcast voice for tomorrow what's up guys oh my goodness 239 where does the time go it's wild man right i mean seriously the year is almost over and we're just like right around the corner from 250 episodes can Mm. you even believe that like that is so insane to me i just can't believe that we've been doing it that long and that we are that close to that milestone it's just it's an absolute blast every week and i just I, i love it man i love it yeah, same here, man. Same here. My back definitely hurts, but it's okay. It's fine. Um, I'm going to get a nice massage. It'll be great. There you go. But you guys know your host, myself, J-Lo Fantastic, and the one and only Mouth. Ah, what's oh, up? Oh, my goodness, guys. It's going to be a great one. And before we tease everything else, before we start this show, of course, we got to say, be sure to leave a rating on this podcast and comment below your thoughts and opinions in negative or positive. We don't care. We just want to hear some thoughts um, because leaving a rating and commenting on the podcast helps the podcast get seen by more people who enjoy entertainment news and especially those who are trying to break into the entertainment industry for sure We're trying to give them uh, conversation starters at big wig parties you know when there's events where you need to know things that are happening that's how you keep going and definitely if you listen to this podcast you will be one of those people be like wow that guy 
he he knows his stuff well, or yeah, that gal that's right <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness but we're super excited and of course we have to say be sure to head over to our website www.crazyantmedia.com where you can start rocking the latest and greatest crazy ant media gear only a couple days left to get your halloween merch man yes. get your halloween merch now got so lucky because um i mean we put out on an instagram live that things got shut down because of connection issues around the office but my shirt came last night so i'm glad to be able to wear it today um so i'm super excited about that stay tuned for thanksgiving ones they are coming around the corner and then of course you guys know we have our christmas ones so we're super excited about all those oh my goodness but we have some somber news of course we have to start off with this it is um it's quite a shock to hollywood right now because they always say they go in threes and they surely do they did um yeah three iconic actors richard roundtree an iconic black uh, black satopian film um who starred as detective john shaft in gordon park's 1971 action thriller he died on Tuesday afternoon after a short battle with pancreatic cancer. Um, he was 81 years old. He did get to live a long, fulfilled life. So, I mean, everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. Uh, his death was confirmed by Patrick uh, McMinn, his manager, since 1987. Roundtree was a leading man from the very start of his lifetime in mm-hmm. screen acting. Now, after the beginning of his career in modeling, he secured Shaft at the age of 28, marking his feature debut. Um, the MGM release earned $12 million in ticket sales off of a $500,000 production budget, helping to save the studio fun from bankruptcy. A little Hollywood trivia there. Um, a breakthrough hit Shaft set the tone for prolific decades of filmmaking and demonstrated Hollywood's historical failure to consider black talent and the movie going audiences that they could reach. Now, that's very important because you see how important it is to have all ethnic groups in um, Oscar consideration. So, I mean, they, they paved the way, man. They yeah. paved the way. Richard Roundtree, man, one of the best. And uh, I mean who who else could deliver the iconic line shut your mouth better than yeah. shaft man i mean you know a lot of people say it all the time you hear shut your mouth all the time but you don't really you know it, it's richard roundtree thank you richard roundtree for that if you're my age or so or maybe you're enjoying the new uh revival of it uh right now but you'll remember back uh in the 80s uh night court Night Court. We lost another legend, uh, actor Richard Mull, who of course played Bull on Night Court. He uh, passed away in Big Bear Lake, California, at his home. He was 80 years old. The deep voice, six foot eight inch actor, as I said, was best role for playing his bailiff Bull Shannon in Night Court, which of course co-starred Harry Anderson and John Larroquette from 1984 to 1992. Now Mull was nominated for a Saturn Award in 1985 horror movie House. He voiced to the role of Harvey Dent and Two-Face on The Adventures of Batman and Robin, as well as Scorpion on Spider-Man the Animated Series. He also had parts in The Flintstones, Jingle All the Way, Casper Meets Wendy, and Scary Movie 2. His other television appearances, in case you didn't know, included Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Seventh Heaven, and Smallville. After appearing in the horror movie Nightmare Man in 2006... 
He starred in Thomas Kincaid's Christmas Cottage opposite Peter O'Toole, Marsha Gay Harden, and one of our former guests who's also passed away, Ed Asner, and later appeared in Cold Case and Anger Management. He also made his final and made-for-television film appearance, including No Place Like Home and The Headless Horseman. Um, this is sad, y'all. I don't know if you guys are aware of it or not, but almost the entire cast of Night Court has left us. The only two left are John Larroquette and um and uh Marsha uh, oh man now her name is escaping me. Um but yeah there's only there's only two left out of the entire cast. I, I just that's that's heartbreaking to me. Um whew, it, it, it's and yeah. you know he was he was one of those very you can't miss him. You know, six foot eight, bald guy, but just scary as hell, but the nicest guy ever with just like this robust laugh. So that's a huge loss as well, man. It is. It is. And the most recent one, the one that shocked everyone, um, I'm sure everybody has seen it on their timelines on social media. Last night, um, Saturday, Matthew Perry, an actor best known for his role as Chandler Bing in NBC sitcom Friends. Uh, he was 54. He was found dead on Saturday in his hot tub at, Los, at his Los Angeles home. Law enforcement sources told Los Angeles Times that authorities found him unresponsive around 4 p.m. And there were no signs of foul play or drug use on the scene because we do know that he had had his battle with alcoholism and, you know, narcotics in the past. Perry gained international recognition from his uh roll fast on his feet 20 something Chandler on friends which ran 10 seasons from 94 to 2004 he did earn a primetime Emmy in 2002 for his performance on the iconic sitcom among the six stars of the friends ensemble Perry was the ambitious as the performer and producer as they come um, but he also grappled with the long uh Addiction and struggle with substance abuse and it did stunt his career now later on in life particularly in with his uh 2022 book friends lovers and the big terrible thing a memoir perry focused much of his energy on using his experience to help others stay sober this is a big one guys uh, everybody has been putting out a lot of stuff about it and i actually just bought the book today so that's my next one i'm going to read um but th- it it really hit hard because i mean i've talked about it on this show multiple times how much that show means to me and how much his character meant to me and then learning more about him as a person it um it definitely took the world by shock that it's something crazy yeah um uh you know and he said uh helping others get sober because guys he was still battling both the drug and alcohol addiction he was never fully clean ever um from the time he got started and um you know we've heard all from all a lot of the actors we've heard from you know the creators and 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 we've heard obviously and and rightfully so friends but um I'm not going to talk about that I'm going to respect his wishes and I'm going to read you this uh, cuz I think this is the perfect way to 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 say goodbye to him uh he wrote I've had a lot of ups and downs in my life. I'm still working through it personally. But the best thing about me is if that an alcoholic or drug addict comes up to me and says, will you help me? I will always say yes. 
I know how to do that. I will do that for you even if I can't do it for myself. So I do that whenever I can, in groups or one-on-one. I created the Perry House in Malibu, a sober living facility for men. I also wrote my play, The End of Longing, which is a personal message to the world, an exaggerated form of me as a drunk. I had something important to say to people like me and to people who love people like me. When I die, and here's why I wanted to read this. When I die, I know people will talk about friends, friends, friends. And I'm glad of that. Happy I did something solid with work as an actor, as well as given multiple chances to make fun of my struggles on the World Wide Web. But when I die... As far as my so-called accomplishments go, it would be nice if friends were listed far behind the things that I did to try to help other people. I know it won't happen, but it would be nice. So thank you, Matthew Perry, all the way up until your last breath for trying to help other people. Um, There's no better purpose in life than to try to help other people and battling that addiction for all of your life, not being able to overcome it, yet never failing to try to help others overcome it. That says everything about the type of man that Matthew Perry was. Um, He will be greatly missed. And um, if you guys know that we've been doing the Sober October. We've been having a little bit of fun with it and everything. You heard us talk about it at the top of the show. But one of the main reasons that we did that was to acknowledge and show our support for people who may be going through an addiction like Matthew Perry was. Um, if you even think that somebody is struggling, that may have a problem, reach out to them, talk to them, ask them, let them know you're there check on them. And for anybody who is struggling with an addiction right now, you are not alone. You do not have to go through it alone. Please know that. Please know that we are here for you. There are people out there for you. There are organizations out there for you. Please, please reach out and try to get help because you don't have to do it alone. Um, whew. Yeah, this is a yeah. tough one. Yeah. So it's 54 it years it, old. I mean, he's, he's yeah. my age. Just, I mean, I, well, it's kind of eerie too, uh, because I just started um, listening to the book before coming on air and literally in his first paragraph, he says, you might be listening to this and I might be from our, you might be listening to this from the beyond, or I might be speaking to you from the beyond. Um, Yeah, it was kind of eerie to hear that, like just so soon afterwards. Um, so yeah, it's it's a crazy thing. And uh, dude, I was I was reading and um he took his first drink at 14 and was a full on full out blown alcoholic by 18, downing alcohol nonstop at 18, y'all. Then he early on had a jet skiing accident and that's when he got hooked on the pain pills. And and guys, if you have seen the stuff he got to the point where he was literally popping 55 Vicodin a day, a day, y'all. He had gone through, he said, 18 to 20 detox attempts, 6,000 AA meetings, uh, just, um, you know, 16 attempts at detoxing himself. The numbers are staggering, and he just could not beat it 
could not beat the drought. I think he said for the entire 10-year run of Friends, he was sober for one of those years and not even the full season. Uh, I mean, um, it's just, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. And um, yeah, just please, 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 um, you know, reach out, reach out and, and, you know, just, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, it, it's horrible. Thoughts and prayers to his family and friends and everybody involved who's ever met him. Um, and thank God for him and maybe for all of the people that he did save, that he did help. Um, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. So, SAG AFTRA, let's jump there. <laughs> This seems like an odd transition, but let's let's do it. Uh, the actor strike news this week is a mix of good and bad, so let's break it down for y'all. Hollywood studios are giving one more week to negotiations with SAG-AFTRA before they're ready to pack it in for the rest of the year. Yes, you heard that right. According to an individual with knowledge of their thinking, the studios believe that if they can't reach a deal in the next week with SAG, which has been on strike since July 14th, then no new production will be able to start before 2024. Now, if that is the case, the studios further believe then that the fall television season is lost and new movies won't be able to come out until next summer. In this scenario... Early November would be the drop-dead date to salvage any ability to put television or movies into production. Once the calendar hits Thanksgiving, it's unlikely that any project would begin production, pushing off everything to the new year um, and killing the studio's incentive to push for a deal. All that puts significant pressure on talks going on this week. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, SAG-AFTRA, they have been holding bargaining sessions with major studios over the weekend like we've teased at the top of the show as the two sides continue to work towards a deal to end right now this 107 day strike uh the two sides met yesterday for the fourth day this week um and the talks will resume again today the union delivered its latest response yesterday and it is awaiting back to um hear word from the studios now, Carol Lombardi, the CEO of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, represented the studios yesterday in a session. Um, but four CEOs, David Zasloff of Warner Brothers Discovery, Donna Langley of NBC Universal, Ted Sarandos of Netflix, and of course, Bob Iger from Disney, who have all been present at earlier sessions, were not present and not at the table yesterday. Now, the AMPTP has met on four of the last five days with the union leadership as both sides feel pressure to get the resolution. There has been some optimism about progress at certain points over the last few days, but there are also been a lot of fair amount of frustrations from as the studios remain frustrated with SAG-AFTRA's bargaining position. Now, it remains unclear if any optimism is warranted, as the Actors Union still has long lists of demands. SAG-AFTRA wants a new structure for, restream, or for streaming residuals, which would argument the residuals in current place. Now, the union also wants protections around the use of artificial intelligence to create digital doubles. And we've talked to many guests who have experienced this. Mm -hmm. Among its proposals is a minimum pay rate for digital doubles, as well as the union's consent. 
The studios have balked at giving the union a veto over the use of AI. Now, the CEOs have warned there is little time left to save the 2023-2024 broadcast season as they continue to fear that the summer movie season will badly be damaged if the strike does not get resolved soon. Now, SAG-AFTRA declined to comment other than to say that it remains focused on (coughs) negotiating a fair deal. The union sent out a routine reminder on Saturday morning to its members about upcoming picketing. Um, The schedule includes a unity picket at Disney on Wednesday, November 1st. That would be the 111th day of strike and picketing at all other studio locations um, is canceled that day, apparently. Um, The union is also planning a Halloween-themed Solidarity Scream Fest on Tuesday. Notably, the union has warned members against dressing as uh, characters from studio-backed projects that could be interpreted as promoting struck work. I think that part's stupid, but I, I understand everything else. I think it's pretty dumb that you can't, you know, dress a, the, whatever way you yeah. want to dress. Yeah, and so like 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 you said, you know, they they have this like fear that if they can't get it done within the next week and November comes, that's it, it's over. So it only makes sense that they're continuing to negotiate through the weekend to try to get some sort of a deal before the month ends. Um but if the two sides can come to an agreement in the next few days, does that mean we will finally see an end to the strike and the actors going back to work? Not necessarily. Why? Because the contract, the agreement that they come to, would have to be ratified by the members of SAG-AFTRA, and they would have to vote to do that. Why do I think that might be not a good thing? Well, if you guys missed it, more than 3,600 SAG-AFTRA members signed an open letter stating that they would rather stay on strike than cave to a bad deal. The group, calling itself Members in Solidarity, included A-listers such as Julia Louis-Dreyfus, John Hamm, Maya Hawke, Marissa Tomei, John Leguizamo, and Brian Cranston. Gabrielle Carteris, who of course preceded Fran Drescher as president of the union, was among others. Now, the letter expresses support for SAG-AFTRA's negotiating committee and says that it speaks for the majority of the guild who, quote, are still standing in solidarity, ready to strike as long as it takes and to endure whatever we must in order to win a deal that is worthy of our collective sacrifice. We have not come all this way to cave now. We have not gone without work, without pay, and walked picket lines for months just to give up on everything we've been fighting for. We cannot and will not accept a contract that fails to address the vital and existential problems that we all need fixed. Now, this letter comes at a critical point in the strike as many members have started to grow restless and discontent and are eager to return to work. But as you heard in that letter, it represents the majority of the members. Now, I appreciate that letter. I appreciate those 3,600 people. There are significant A-listers on there. And a lot of those A-listers were actually out on the picket lines. The difference, though, is, and I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to come at them, but they're millionaires. They can stay on strike. They can afford it. They don't have to worry about it. 98% of your fellow members are not. 
They are not millionaires. They don't even make 30000 a year. They cannot afford to keep missing work and stay on the picket lines. And I feel like if the studios and your negotiating committee can come to an agreement, it would be irresponsible and reckless, in my opinion, to stay on strike to try to get everything that you want. That's just not possible. Take what you can get if it's good. They're, the studios have conceded. They have come up in the residuals. They have come up in the you know with, with a lot of the things that you want. Get what you can and then come back to it when this contract is up. But I mean, that's just I just don't think the studios are going to cave enough to give in to every demand that the union has. I just I, I just can't see that happening. And the idea to keep this going, I mean, we're going to tell you later on in the industry news, it's already affected stuff being canceled and movies being pushed. And I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, I was texting with you about it. And I just feel like, you know, it's, it's becoming very political. Um, Clearly. Both sides yeah. are not willing to really work with each other. It's either all or nothing for everybody, um, which is hurting a lot of people. So I'm I'm just hoping that we can get something done within the next few days, something that looks promising um, so that we can just get back to doing what we love because we're all very passionate about this industry. So it's something that, you know, is it's straining on everybody's mental health. It's straining on everybody's pocket. So we just need to get back to doing what we love. That's For the sure. biggest thing. For sure. But we um, stand well, in yep. solidarity. Just want yes. to say that we do stand yeah. in solidarity with the union. We are not saying that we don't agree with the strike and we are not saying that we don't think you're doing the right thing. Just saying, be smart about it. Exactly. <laughs> so, and know. it is proof positive that we haven't had any guests on. We haven't yeah, correct. Even attempted. So, I mean, it's proof positive. <laughs> uh, jumping over to Disney, they have unveiled the first look of their upcoming live action remake of Snow White. Yeah, they did. Uh, in a new image, uh, Rachel Ziegler is transformed into the iconic Disney princess surrounded by her seven dwarves. As of today, the film uh, was originally set to open March 22nd of 2024, but it has been delayed to March 21st of 2025. Now, of course, Ziegler stars as Snow White and Godot plays the evil queen. Mm. Asnew Kabak co-stars uh, as the Huntsman and Andrew Burnap plays the character named Jonathan. Now, the Seven Dwarves have been reimagined for the remake, and Ziegler uh, has said that this new interpretation will not be as focused on the romantic subplot, but instead will show Snow White becoming a leader her father encouraged her to be. The reimagined storyline and Ziegler's casting, she will be the first Latina to play Snow White, and that has generated some online criticism varying from the source material. The original film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, was released back in 1937 um, and was Disney's first feature-length animated film. More than 85 years later, the cast and team behind the remake have promised an updated version of the classic fairy tale, which only makes sense. Come on. It seems like there's always going to be haters hating on everything. Yeah, I'm, I I could care less if, if uh, Snow White is Latina or not. I'm fine with that. I don't have any issues with that. But I will tell you, the reimagined dwarfs, am I the only one who thought they were a little fucking creepy? They looked a little creepy. Is this like I a? Didn't, like, I didn't think they looked that bad. I mean, yeah. you know, is it? We all know that all of Disney's fairy tale stuff is based on the Grimm fairy tales, the Grimm brothers' fairy tales, and 
These dwarfs, I'm just saying, on the wrong day and the wrong time, late at night, maybe you've had a couple drinks, they could probably scare the shit out of you. I'm just I saying. mean, I would be scared to go down a dark alley and see one of the dwarfs. I'll say <laughs> that. I love it. will be scared. <laughs> they really, look at the picture. You decide for yourself. <laughs> Walt Disney Studios also has removed Magazine Dreams, a dark drama starring Jonathan Majors, off of the release calendar. Yes, off of the release calendar. The film, which Disney subsidiary Searchlight Pictures purchased out of Sundance, was slated to premiere on December 8th. However, Majors has become embroiled in legal issues involving assault and aggravated harassment allegations stemming from a domestic dispute with his former girlfriend, Grace Jabari. Now, the actor has pleaded not guilty to the criminal charges. Magazine Dreams was probably not going to be screening anytime soon, regardless of the labor situation. When Searchlight bought Magazine Dreams earlier this year, it saw the film as a potential Oscar vehicle for the star who played a a disturbed bodybuilder. But if it had stuck to its original plans, it would have debuted the film roughly at the same time that Majors is going to be in court. (laughs) His trial is set to begin on November 29th, and as you guys saw, the judge denied his uh, request to throw it out. He is going to trial, y'all, and it is not looking good. Uh, though many reviewers liked the film, some questioned its popular appeal. Elio, a Pixar science fiction animated adventure, has also been pushed back by a year. It was slated to hit theaters on March 1st, 2024. Instead, the public will get a look at it on June 13th, 2025. Uh, That one has voices from America Ferreira, Jamila Jamil, and Brad Garrett and revolves around a boy chosen to become Earth's ambassador to an alien civilization. Um... This one just makes sense to me. That not that one, but like the the one that was kind of above on that uh, with Jonathan Majors. Listen, innocent until proven guilty. I understand that. Um, it is not looking good. There clearly must be enough evidence to where this judge felt like it needed to go forward, which is not a good sign. If I'm Disney, I cut and run. I cut and run and I recast because, as you guys know, he is Kang and he is heavily throughout the whole back half of the next two phases of, of Marvel movies. Uh, I say I say, you cut and run, recast, and, and just go with it. I don't think this is a good image for Disney to have. Yeah, it, it would be a smart uh, business decision. I'm surprised they haven't yet, to be honest. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't yet. Yeah. Um, now, at Haunting in Venice is getting a digital release just in time for Halloween. <sighs> Kenneth Bardaugh's third um, Agatha Christie adaptation, which hit theaters in September, will debut on digital retailers and Hulu on October 31st. It will also arrive on Blu-ray and DVD on November 28th. The murder mystery is based on Christie's 1969 novel, Halloween Party. Um, we And it is set post-World War II Venice on All Hollows. So that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And Eve follows the story of the mystery featuring the celebrated sleuth Hercule Poirot um, as he reluctantly attends a seance at a haunted palazzo. Um, after one of the guests is murdered, a former detective must see months 
must once again find out who did it. Mm. Um, the film also stars Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh, a medium uh, who appears to summon Alicia's spirit during the seance, and Tina Fey, a mystery novelist who made her name by fictionalizing uh, the misadventures of the Bagalinian detective. Now, Jude Hill, Kelly Riley, and Jamie Duran also star in this thing. The film will be available for subscribers to stream on Hulu just in time to cap off its iconic Huluween celebration and arrive to buy on digital October 31st from all major digital retailers, including Prime Video and Apple TV. So there you go, man. Get all your scares in while you can. Yeah, I've seen the previews for it. It looks pretty good. So, you know, I might give that one a shot. This one I am super excited about. You know, they've been t- saying that this one was in trouble. They, blah, blah, blah. They've gotten rid of blah, blah. But I think this is all good news if you are all in on Daredevil, guys. Daredevil Born Again has found its new creative team. As we told you last week, they got rid of a bunch of them. Well, they found the new people to replace them. Dario Scarpadini, who wrote and executive produced on Netflix's Marvel series The Punisher, will serve as the new showrunner for the new Daredevil show after previous head writers Chris Ord and Matt Corman exited amid major creative overhauls. Now, Ord and Corman will still be credited as executive producers. The decision to hire Scarpadini, I can't even, Scarpadini, let's go with that, as the showrunner, rather than filling the title of head writer that Marvel has been using for its Disney Plus series, demonstrates how the studio has shifted their thinking and their approach to producing television. Now, to this point, Marvel had used a feature film model for Disney+, Plus, empowering directors and Marvel executives to oversee shows while head writers were given dominion only over the scripts. Moving forward, however, insiders indicate Marvel Studios intends to adopt their traditional showrunner model for making television. Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who directed Marvel's Moon Knight, are the lead directors on season two of Loki. They're going to be stepping in to direct the rest of the first season of Daredevil Born Again. So you've got the guy that was the showrunner on uh, uh, Punisher which was a brilliant freaking show and spinoff on Netflix from Daredevil, the original Daredevil, and the guys that directed Moon Knight and are currently directing Loki. If that doesn't sound... Those shows were all massive hits, so and all beloved by Marvel fans. So this appears to be the right people, guys, that they're bringing in. Um... As part of the show's creative overhaul, Marvel uh, released the previously hired directors for season one after production shut down amid the SAG after strike. Now, elements of the material that were already shot will be incorporated into the series, but the show overhaul is meant to head in a whole new direction with the show, which only makes sense. Marvel Studios chief Kevin Feige originally announced that Born Again would consist of 18 episodes, but it's unclear how many of those will actually make up the first season. Now, as we've mentioned before, in case you were living under a rock, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onfrio are returning to their roles as Matt Murdock, a.k.a daredevil and villain wilson fisk aka the kingpin of course both actors will next appear in the roles on the hawkeye spinoff echo set to debut on disney plus in early 2024 i'm pumped i think that's all good news i think it's the right move to bring people from those netflix marvel shows into it because those were all massive hits And Feige just confirmed recently that all of those shows, plus all of the 20th Century Fox movies, it's all canon. It all is canon and is within the MCU. He said that because of the multiverse. 
So yes, they're all there and they could pop now into the MCU and they might stay in the MCU or they might be killed off in Secret Wars, but he did want to make the point that it's all canon. So there you go. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, well, the Bayer creator, Christopher Storer, has lined up a new television project at FX. Now, Storer and FX won the rights to the upcoming book, All of the Other Mothers Hate Me, by journalist Sarah Harmon and in a strong bidding war set to have included more than a dozen other parties. Now, the book is described as a... Um, now, a crazy thriller, I will say, uh, but about an American woman who suspects her beloved son might have murdered a wealthy pupil at his West London private school. Oh. Now, per the description from the publisher, Storer will produce via his American Light and Fixture Productions banner alongside Josh Sr. and Cooper Wade. Um, now, Harmon is expected to pen the adaptation from the book, which is not due to be published until 2025, though it recently won the 2023 Lucy Cavendish Prize. Now, Story is a fast-rising star at FX, giving the success of The Bear. The show has been released two highly touted seasons to date, with season one recently racking up 13 Emmy nominations that includes nominations for best comedy series, best writing for a comedy series, and a slew of nominations for series cast. Now season two of the show debuted in June and has also received rave reviews. It's a great freaking show. Jump on it while you can, while it's still early. It's a definitely one to good bench watch. Oh, without doubt, without doubt. Uh, yeah. Woo. That show, just season two especially, oh my gosh, just like slaying, slaying. All right, let's jump on over to the bunny with Porky Pig and Daffy Duck. One of the most beloved comedic duos in showbiz history are set to make their return to the big screen in the sci-fi comedy adventure The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie. Now, GFM Animation will launch worldwide sales on the Warner Brothers Animation-produced theatrical feature at the American film market starting October 31st through November 5th and will share a first-look footage. Ooh. The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie is the first ever fully animated Looney Tunes feature-length movie created for a movie theater audience. Directed by Pete Browngart and the creative team behind the Looney Tunes cartoons, The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie stars Porky Pig and Daffy Duck as unlikely heroes and Earth's only hope when facing the threat of an alien invasion. Now, in this buddy comedy, the heroes race to save the world, delivering all the laugh-out-loud gags and vibrant visuals that may the Looney Tunes so iconic, but on an epic scale not seen in the franchise before. Produced by Warner Brothers Animation, the film is currently in production and will be delivered eh, around the second quarter of 2024. So, um, yeah, I wonder if they're going to mean a Martian, uh, Martian or uh, space modulator. I, I mean, that's got to be the alien invasion. It's got to be Martian, right? If it's not, epic fail. It's got to be him. You would think so. You would think so. Well, Warner Brothers has given an upcoming theatrical um, slate a small shakeup, uh -oh. I should say, or uh, should we say a hurricane? Um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, 
the final installment of the current continuation of DC Comics adaptations before the Intimate reboot has been bumped from December 20th to December 22nd, so not by much. Just two days. The shift from Wednesday to Friday release gives the superhero film a traditional three-day opening in theaters as opposed to the original slated of the five-day rollout. The slight delay gives Aquaman 2 a little bit extra space away from Timothy Chalamet's Chocolate Tears prequel to Wonka. Now, Warner Brothers is also releasing that spin on Nautilus novelist Roald Dahl's enduring character debut on or debuting that film on December 15th. Mm. It's a busy Hollywood season for the studio, which is also bowing its adaptation of the color purple musical on Christmas day. Now that's three big titles coming one after another arriving uh, more than three months after the last Warner Brothers release, which was None 2, the spinoff from the Conjuring horror franchise, which debuted in September. I didn't even realize that they hadn't released a film, or they're not going to release a film in that wide of a gap. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess everything's been just kind of under wraps because it's all been Barbie, 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 Barbie. So we haven't really heard anything else about Warner Brothers. But, uh, I mean, smart, although I don't think Aquaman had too much to worry about about Chalamet's uh, uh, Wonka. I, uh, excuse me, I honestly think Aquaman would kick its ass. Even if people are over DC. I just, I don't think people want to see another Wonka. It's just... Well, I think they're both going to be awful. I think they're both going to perform so bad for two different reasons. But Fair I think enough. they're both going to take a big bath. Fair enough. But the color purple... The remake of The Color Purple on Christmas Day, that's going to do huge. I'm just going to go out on a record right now and say that thing's going to be huge. And the cast looks phenomenal on it. So can't wait to see that one. All right. The studio also announced that it has retitled its upcoming Robert De Niro film going from Wise Guys to Alto Nights, named after the famed New York Social Club. The period gangster drama sees the star take on two roles, Italian-American crime bosses Vito Giovini and Frank Costello, and reunites him with filmmaker Barry Levinson, who directed De Niro in Wag the Dog, Sleeper, and HBO films The Wizard of Lies and What Just Happened. Now, Alto Nights will now release on November 14th of 2024, moving off of its original release date of February 2nd of 2024. So, um, Okay, I'm down. I like Barry Levinson. I like De Niro, and it's gangsters, bro. I think you're probably going to be all in on that. Oh, I mean, of course. I've already finished that John Gotti documentary series that was on Netflix. It's fine. Um, and I, <laughs> I laugh. It's Genovese. You busted my balls. It's Genovese. Okay? Genovese. Okay. Uh, okay. Yes, hey, did okay. you see it's the Gotti fine. film that I panned and slammed on our on our least favorite? <laughs> it's it's on HBO right now. You should watch it. It's on Max. Uh, yeah. I yeah. still don't want to. <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, uh, now, this next one has me terrified of the ultimate demise of this prequel mm. franchise. Yep. The Fantastic Beast movie franchise has been parked um director david yates said in a new interview the franchise headlined eddie redmayne uh, is a in the prequel to harry potter that was designed by author of course jk rowling as a five film series now the three films that have been released fantastic beasts where and where to find them in 2016 the crimes of grindwald in 2018 and of course the secrets of dumbledore in 2022 but the lackluster box office returns to the third entry only 
rack up to be around like $407 million worldwide. Um, led many Harry Potter fans to question if two more films would even become a reality. Now, Yates directed all three Fantastic Beast movies and Rowling pinning each entry. Um, and she had sole screenwriting credit on the first two films and was joined by Stephen Coles in the third one. Hmm. But Yates is a veteran of the Harry Potter universe, having directed every Harry Potter movie from Order of Phoenix through The Deathly Hallows um, Part 2. He also said in an interview that Rowling's five-part plan, five-film plan for Fantastic Beasts was never communicated to him or others when they started work on the first five movies in the franchise or the first movie in the franchise saying quote the idea that they were going to be five films was a surprise to most of us so what the hell i don't i just don't understand i think you know i get it it's her stuff but i mean with just reading right of a lifetime i think they need to george lucas that shit and just cut her out and get somebody else to run it maybe obviously it's not holding up in today's day and age so i don't know i don't know either but boy that's where we're at in box office and studios right what's considered a the third one made half a billion dollars worldwide and it was a disappointment i'll take half a billion dollars for a movie that i make worldwide and if you want to call it a disappointment fucking fire away but i'll take it that is crazy to me that they consider that a failure like what the fuck um this is really cool this next one though because if you guys know the story behind this it was kind of like uh you know an unsettling and dis- you know kind of a sad story but it's awesome Daniel Radcliffe, Mr. Harry Potter himself, has boarded the upcoming HBO original documentary, David Holmes, The Boy Who Lived, as an executive producer, in addition to being prominently featured in the film as an interview subject. Now, the movie, set to debut in November, chronicles the life of Radcliffe's Harry Potter stunt double, who worked closely alongside uh, Radcliffe from Sorcerer's Stone all the way to Deathly Hallows Part 1, when he was tragically paralyzed during a set accident. Holmes broke his neck performing a stunt and was paralyzed from the chest down. The official doc synopsis from HBO reads, The film is a coming-of-age story of stuntman David Holmes, a prodigious teenage gymnast from Essex, England, who is selected to play Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double in the first Harry Potter film, when Daniel is just 11. Over the next 10 years, the two form an inextricable bond But on the Pentelum film, a tragic accident on set leaves David paralyzed with a debilitating spine injury, turning his world upside down. As Daniel and his closest stunt colleagues rally to support David and his family in their moment of need, it is David's extraordinary spirit of resilience that becomes their greatest source of strength and inspiration. The documentary features candid personal footage shot over the last decade, behind-the-scenes material from Holmes' stunt work, scenes of his current life, and intimate interviews with David, Daniel Radcliffe, friends, family, and former crew. The film also reflects universal themes of living with adversity, growing up, forging identities in an uncertain world, and the bonds that bind us together and lift us up. David Holmes, The Boy Who Lived, debuts Wednesday, November 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern on HBO and will be available to stream on Max. It will air on Sky Documentaries and the streaming service Now in the UK starting November 18th. That sounds amazing and um, all in on that. I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, I didn't even know that happened. So, I mean, that's really 
freaking epic and terrifying at the same time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the budget cuts that came with Superman and Lois and All-American Homecoming renewals at the CW are also impacting the series writers rooms, which are undergoing downsizing. Now, Superman and Lois is going from an eight writers to five for the upcoming fourth season oh. and homecoming is going from nine to seven for season three. Uh, there are no changes in writer's room sizes of the other two CW original scripted series flagships, all American, the original and Walker, but Superman and Lois and all American homecoming were renewed in June after Warner brothers television agreed to deliver the new seasons at a significantly lower price fee um, to make them feasible for a network under uh, its new lower cost original programming model. Uh, for the shows to still make financial sense for the studio, their budgets were slashed, leading to cast reductions with not all of the series regulars asked to come back full time. Now, Superman and Lois is more expensive than other CW original dramas due to extensive special effects, so the cuts to that show were very deep. Um, only four of the 12 seasons, three series series regulars tyler holchland um elizabeth tolch michael bishop and alex gareth gareth um are coming back while other returning cw scripted series were all picked up for 13 episodes superman and lois season four consists of only 10 um i just feel like you know winter i the, i think the cw won't last another 10 years so It'll be interesting to see if it does. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I kind of, I understand the whole thing because it's special effects laden and it's kind of expensive, but it's also the highest rated show on the CW. So you might as well have just given them the full 13 and let everybody come back because what right. the fuck? I mean, it's the highest rated show on the network. Like, do you want it to do? I just, I don't know. I don't understand that. Uh, let's jump over to Paramount. Tom Cruise's, and here we go, guys, because of SAG after and the strike. Tom Cruise's latest mission won't be hitting theaters now until 2025. Paramount Pictures has delayed the next Mission Impossible by nearly an entire year from its original date of June 28th, 2024 to its new spot on May 23rd of 2025. Now, when the film does arrive on the big screen, it will be with a new name. Paramount and Skydance are dropping the second half of its title, formerly Dead Reckoning Part 2, though the sequel will directly follow the events of Dead Reckoning Part 1. Makes sense, though, if it's almost three years since the first one, nobody's going to get that it's <laughs> part two right yeah you know what i mean so i guess that makes sense to me um like other films of its size and scale the eighth mission movie was forced to halt production amid the ongoing sag after strike and won't be completed in time to open next summer which is why it's made the move as part of the move though it affects other things a quiet place day one a prequel to 2018's post-apocalyptic hit will land now on june 28th 2024 instead of its previously scheduled march 8th of 2024 meanwhile an untitled animated spongebob SquarePants adventure has been postponed from May 23rd, 2025, all the way to December 19th of 2025. So things, they are a moving. <laughs> they really are, man. They really are. But it's not all delays, delays, delays. Director John Krasinski, if he, <laughs> director John Krasinski's project, if is a <laughs> fantasy comedy starring Ryan Reynolds, Krasinski, Alan Kim, and 
Phoebe Waller-Bridge has been moved up from May 24th of 2024 to May 17th of 2024. Uh, With its current placement, the family film is based from the flurry of Memorial Day offerings such as Mad Mask prequels uh, Ferocia, Garfield, and the Kingdom of Planet of the Apes. Of course, the calendar will be fluid as long as the major productions remain shut down. So these are likely to change again. But, of course, we'll keep you updated on everything. Without that, I forgot Garfield and Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes were coming. I forgot all about that. I'm I'm excited about Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, though. Uh, We'll see. It's official. Billions has come to an end. Airing its series finale this week, series creators Brian Koppelman and David Levian said that the ending was crafted for the Billions Obsessives. That's me. They're talking about me. My man, Bobby Axelrod, right there. I've got Chuck and Wendy and Taylor, too. They're just not up there, but there's Bobby right there. Okay, he's talking about me. I stuck around with the finance drama for all seven years and potentially into multiple spinoffs on the other side. Spoilers coming. Spoilers coming. So if you haven't watched yet, I just warned you. Steve Miller bands Take the Money and Run played viewers out in the opening and closing moments of the series finale of Billions, which ended a seven-season run with one last signature heist and one last big score for basically every single character. Well, everyone except for the late-game antagonist Mike Prince, of course, because... They kicked his ass. As often is the case with Billions, the final episode, Admiral's Fund, pulls the curtain back on events from previous episodes, only to reveal that they didn't exactly play out the way you thought they did. It looked like the holy alliance of Chuck Rhodes, money-making Bobby Axelrod, mental giant Wendy Rhodes, and their compatriots were dead in the water in their crusade to stop the egomaniacal billionaire prince's historic run towards the White House. The crusaders believed Prince would govern over the globe with dictatorial demeanor, and they were willing to put it all on the line to see him stopped. Now, in the Pendulum episode, it looked like their luck had finally run out. Of course, in classic Billion style, we didn't have the whole picture. The finale revealed that the critical people in Prince's camp were actually plotting against him for weeks, working with Chuck, Wendy, and Axe, and the rest. Now, uh, through a series of financial gymnastics best left to smarter people to explain, hey, I'm a smart person, I could have explained it, but we'll go on over that, don't worry about it. The heroes of billions are able to yoink the vast majority of Prince's wealth away from him and redistribute it amongst the vast majority of Bobby's people. Prince's White House run is derailed, and everyone else is either millions and millions of dollars richer, or at least satisfied enough with a job well done. Indeed, some are satisfied enough to have a job at all as the series finale goes out of its way to tip back to its own past, bringing back in old guard characters like Brian Connerty uh, back into the fold. Previously disgraced and sent to prison, Connerty is brought back in by Chuck and Kate Sackler to get his law license back. Now, seen earlier in the season as a hibachi chef, Connerty gets to take his showy knife skills for one last spin in the very final scene of the series as he cooks the Rhodes family a hibachi feast fit for a king as Take the Money and Run sends the show out on its way. Um, It's about as happy an ending as possible for the characters of Billions. I would agree with that. I was extremely, extremely happy. It's one of the best, well-done finales of a series I have ever seen. Um, Bobby wins. 
Fucking Axe is back and he kicked his fucking ass and he did exactly to Prince what Prince did to him, which like I loved every second of it. But what I really liked is Bobby is back doing what Bobby does. He brought all of his people back. So Axe Cap is all full intact. But what Taylor did not stay with him. She did not. They they decided not to stay with him, but he knew that. And so his new building that he bought, he said that she could take over the lease, that it was they. They could take over the lease, and it was all theirs if they wanted it. So that's what they did. And when they walk in, to their surprise, it's already got Taylor Mason Foundation on the walls because he knew that they would say no to staying with him because he just he knew. Um, and wh- here's what I was really happy with, really, really happy with. Kind of like at the end when they're all saying they're like what they're going to be doing and what they expect and everything. Wendy tells Bobby that she's not going to stay working for him, that she's going to keep the other job that she got and that she's going to give it her all there. And he says, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. And she's like, you don't have to be without me. We're still in the same city. We still run with the same people. I'm here when you need me. I'm just not going to be in this building working with you. Um, and he was like, okay, I, I, I can, I can deal with that. So she's saying, basically, she's always going to have feelings for him. That's Bobby. She's always going to have that connection there, but that that's what it is. Just, I have some feelings and there's a connection. Then she walks down and guess who's waiting for her? Chuck. And she said, I was hoping that you'd be here. No I wanted you to be here. And Chuck said, I always am. And you always are. And so it ended, like they hinted with the hibachi scene with the whole Rhodes family. Chuck and Wendy got back together. This makes me extremely happy. I looked at, I read that as they are now back together and he understands that she will always have feelings for Bobby. That's always going to be a thing, but that she loves him too and that she wants to be with him in the family. I loved that that's how it ended. Everybody is back where they're supposed to be. And Chuck and Bobby kind of had this thing where they respect each other now. You know, Chuck's going back to... I'm going to do what I do. And if you do anything illegal, I'm coming after you. And Bobby's like, understood. And here's all your illegal shit back because I don't want to get you in trouble. And Chuck's like, I hope this, you're hoping this buys you some luxury with me. And he's like, I expect it to buy me some luxury. So it's right back to where it always was. And I don't know. It was a very fitting finale, in my opinion. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was perfect. And I hate that it's over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will say this though, and then we can move on. Um, it certainly leaves the doors open. Axe is back. All the people are there. They're working. He's all about making the money. Prince hinted that he he only has a hundred million dollars now. Poor guy. Um, but he hinted. They hinted that Wags might be going to Miami. Now we know the one of the new series is set in Miami. So will we see Wags go in there? Prince clearly hinted that he would be back to take down Bobby again. I, they just left the doors open. I think we're going to see all of these people again at some point, be it either on the spinoffs or maybe we see a revival down the road of billions to see where they're at now kind of a thing. But I love that it just wasn't closed and done. You know, they gave us the finale and it fit, but it also leaves doors open for my man to come back if we want him to come back. So, all right. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes. Um, 
Well, both Rabbit Hole and the Fatal Attraction TV series have been canceled. Axed. Just after ah, one season axed. at Paramount Plus. Um, a Paramount Plus spokesperson said in a statement, We want to thank both series, the entire creative teams, crews, and fantastic cast for their dedication in bringing these series to life. Now, both Fatal Attraction and Rabbit Hole will continue to be available on Paramount Plus for audiences to discover. So, sorry for those who watch those. So, you called this. You thought that this was going to do pretty good. And you were apparently right. Jumping over to NBC Universal, Universal and Blumhouse's Funhouse Thriller Five Nights at Freddy's slayed the box office expectations with a scary good $78 million North American debut. Now, those tickets are a Especially impressive because the film landed simultaneously on Peacock for free. <laughs> so that that's really good. Uh, it's the second best opening weekend for a day and date streaming release following Disney's 2021 Marvel adventure Black Widow. And the best ever for Universal and Peacock, beating the slasher sequels 2021 Halloween Kills, which made $49 million, and 2022's Halloween Ends, which made $40 million. Now, Five Night at Freddy also secured the second biggest opening weekend for a video game adaptation behind only this year's blockbuster, the Super Mario Brothers movie, which made $146.3 million. Heading into the weekend, Five Nights at Freddy's was expected to collect at least $50 million, which would have been a huge start for the genre, but obviously it killed way above that. It now stands as the biggest horror debut of the year, surpassing the starts of more recognizable franchises like Scream 6 with $44.5 million and The Nun 2 with $32 million. Word of mouth probably was buzzy enough to prevent the second weekend slump that usually plagues horror movies. But even if ticket sales were to fall off a cliff, the $20 million budgeted film is already a theatrical winner. Now, if you don't know what the hell this movie is about, it's based on the popular video game Five Nights at Freddy's and stars Josh Hutcherson as a nighttime security guard at an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese-esque establishment who discovers the animatronic mascot's are prone to murder. Reviews are terrible. It only had a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, but that doesn't matter because audiences have given it an A- minus on CinemaScore. And that just goes to show you Rotten Tomatoes doesn't really matter. Yeah, man. I mean, I was, yeah, I was surprised that it still had a big turnout because after I saw the Rotten Tomatoes, I was like, oh, fuck, because they do sway people a they lot do. of the times. Um, but I mean, that's great. I'm, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I want Peacock to succeed. I me want too. NBC Universal to succeed because they are very historic. They have always put out decent, good content. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm happy to see it, man. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, Universal and Blumhouse have announced a sequel to the 2022 yes. horror film, The Black Phone. It is set for June 27th of 2025. The company say that Black Phone 2 is the launch of a sinister new franchise. Oh. The original horror movie starred Ethan Hawke as a child abductor and murderer called The Grabber. And Mason Thames, a 13-year-old boy named Finney, who crossed with the killer in their day-to-day -day lives. The Grabber locks Finney in a soundproof basement where nobody can hear or come to his rescue. The only item that is in the basement is a disconnected phone and it always begins ringing. 
Now, when Winnie or when Finney answers it, he realizes he's able to communicate with spirits of the grabber's deceased victims. The kid's ghost teaches Finney how to survive and fight back, and he's able to escape the grabber's clutches in the end. Now, Scott Derrickson from Sinister and Doctor Strange directed The Black Phone and produced alongside with Jason Blum for Blumhouse and C. Robert Cargill. Now, the cast included um, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davies, uh, E. Roger Mitchell, Troy Ridicell, James Ransone, and Miguel Carrez Mora. The movie made more than $160 million worldwide and garnered mostly positive reviews. It won the 2022 uh, Saturn Award for Best Horror Film and the 2023 Hollywood Critics Association Film Award for Best Horror. Now, there is no casting or plot information yet for Black Phone 2, but I really hope they bring Ethan Hawke back. I watched the movie, but it is I'm spacing on if he died or not. Um, or got arrested. I think he got arrested. But, I mean, it was a really good movie, so I'm happy they're continuing forward with it. Oh, me too. And making a franchise out of it? That's going to kick ass. And are we paying attention, boys and girls? Jason Blum knows how to make horror films. That record-breaking horror film, Five Nights at Fr- Jason Blum. This one, yep. Jason Blum. And here's the difference, guys. This one made $160 million worldwide and was considered a huge, massive hit. Why? Because horror films don't cost shit to make. Where the other one made half a billion dollars and was a failure. So that just tells you everything you need to know. Now, let's jump on over because you guys know there are only two kinds of people in the world. People who love Barry Manilow and people who lie about loving Barry Manilow because everybody (laughs) fucking loves Barry Manilow. And I'm excited about this because the legendary singer and songwriter is set to make a star in Christmas special at NBC titled Barry Manilow's A Very Berry Christmas. The one-hour special will air on NBC December 11th and will be available to stream the next day on Peacock. It will be filmed at the Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino where he performs his hit show Manilow Las Vegas The Hits Come Home. Manilow along with his 24-piece band will play some of his biggest hits including the Copacabana, Mandy, I Write the Songs, and Looks Like We Made It along with a lineup of several holiday favorites. I'm all in. I fucking love Barry Manilow. I I sing his shit all the fucking time. I'm not even going to lie to you. And so does everybody else. All you people out there, don't be hating on Barry because you know you fucking love him. I can't wait. Right. He sings great Christmas he, songs too. Like it's gonna He be awesome. does. He does. I mean, people are getting into the spirit because Kelly Clarkson will also pull double duty <laughs> at this year's Christmas in Rockefeller Center, oh. an NBC special. The Emmy and Grammy winner um, will host and perform at an annual two-hour holiday special, which will air live on Wednesday, November 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern Pacific time on NBC and simulcast with Peacock. Now, the historical NYC spot is also home to her infamous talk show, The Kelly Clarkson Show. Having performed at the event numerous times, this year marks Clarkson's 20th anniversary for her first Christmas in Rockefeller Center performance. The NBC's Today's Anchors, uh, Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kopp, Al Roker, Craig Melvin will again join the tree lighting for a special appearance. Now, additional Christmas in the Rockefeller Center performers will be announced at a later date. 
Now, prior to the primetime telecast, an additional live hour, a live hour of the special will be broadcast on NBC owned television stations and on numerous NBC affiliates nationwide starring at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Now, please be sure to check your local listings. The special live hour will be led by Access Hollywood, of course, hosted by Mario Lopez, as well as WNBC news anchor uh, Natalie uh, Pasquela and <laughs> David Hury. So there, you go. there it is, man. Get it in there. Get it in there. Yeah, boy, NBC's all in on Christmas, aren't they? I they are. Believe, man, 20 years ago, her first appearance. I guess that's like right after her uh, American Idol, like, Fame yeah, win. that's like, what I'm thinking. Damn. All right, let's jump on over to Sony, where it's not Spider-Man, guys, but eh, it's it's kind of like still. Meh. Paddington in Peru. Are you excited? No, I'm not. Paddington in Peru, the third adventure about the lovable bear with a fondness for marmalade, will make its way to theaters during Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Because when I think of Martin Luther King, I think of Paddington the bear. What sure. the fuck? The movie is set to release on January 17, 2025 in the United States, about two months after it lands in the UK on November 8th. Now, Dougal Wilton directed the movie, which, as the title suggests, brings Paddington's story to Peru as he returns to visit his beloved Aunt Lucy, who now resides at the Home for Retired Bears. With the Brown family in tow, a mystery plunges them into an unexpected journey through the Amazon rainforest and to the mountain peaks of Peru. Ben Wishaw and Imelda Staunton are returning as Paddington and Aunt Lucy, with Hugh Bonneville, Emily Mortimer, Antonio Banderas, and Olivia Coleman rounding out the live-action cast. Rachel Ziegler was supposed to join the film, but was unable to carry out the role due to the SAG-AFTRA strike. So Olivia Coleman and... and... Uh, um, uh, 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 what's her face? Where is it? Where is it? Imelda Staunton. That's two of the queens from The Crown. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. All right, good. I don't care about that movie at all. I'm just going to say. No, no, same, same. Um, <laughs> Lionsgate, for the first time, they will be launching um, sales at AFM on their long jesting fantasy reboot of Highlander. Yes! Which has yes! Henry Cavill aboard to yes! star as the infamous Scottish swordsman and John Wick filmmaker, Chad Stoeski set to direct. We hear this is a big budget proposition north of $100 million. Now, Stoeski uh, himself has previously talked about it and akin to John Wick with swords. Um, the team is eyeing a 2024 start. The new movie will be based on the 1986 original, which starred Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, and Clancy Brown as immortal beings hunting down one another and collecting more power. The time-jumping film with its There Can Only Be One tagline yes. spawned four sequels and three TV series, including the popular USA series tar starring Adrian Paul. Queen more, more memorably provided the soundtrack for the original movie. Yes. So that sounds exciting. We Better than the, the Witcher, apparently, oh, he yeah. says. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, we are the princes of the universe. Badass fucking Queen song. Great fucking song for that series. Um, I, I love fucking Highlander. I loved it. I loved the movies. The Adrian Paul series was fucking badass. And yeah, there can be only one. If you guys don't know what they meant by hunting them down to get more power, they have to behead them. That's 
That's why they all fucking have swords. You behead the other fucking immortal. It's the only way that you can kill them. And they can only be killed by other immortals. So they have to have their heads cut off and then you gain their power. Badass. And my man Henry Cavill is going to play a fucking badass Highlander. That's all I'm going to say. That's great fucking casting. Um, hmm. I was, pr- was kind of a little excited about that one. <laughs> Yeah, you were. Roadside Attractions. But no balloons and thumbs up. What the fuck? Roadside Attractions and Samuel Goldwyn Films have acquired U.S. rights to Bring Him to Me, a mob thriller starring Barry Pepper and Sam Neill. The film will open in select theaters and on digital on January 19th of 2024. Written by Tom Evans and directed by Luke Sparkey, Bring Him to Me centers on a mild-mannered getaway driver. His conscience is tested when his mob boss asks him to collect a young unsuspecting new crew member known as passenger (laughs) one week after a violent robbery now the driver must battle his conscience as he takes the passenger to an uncertain fate the cast also includes Raphael or Rachel I'm sorry Rachel Griffiths Liam McIntyre and Zach Gerard is he being taken to the train station we don't maybe you don't want to go to the train station that's all I'm saying it's like we don't you don't well power book three Rising Canaan is gearing up for its third season premiere on December 1st with the release of the first official trailer. New episodes of the series will be available weekly on Fridays at midnight Eastern time on Stars app, all Stars streaming and on on demand platforms. On Linear, it will debut 8 p.m. Eastern Pacific time in the U.S. and Canada. Season three will continue to follow Kanan Starks, uh, who is Makai Curtis, uh, rise up the ranks, ultimately becoming uh, Kanan Stark, played by 50 Cent in the original Power franchise. Um, when the series returns, Kanan continues his journey of evolution from uh, the devoted son of uh, Rachel or Ra- Raquel uh, Thomas into the eventual crime boss feared by nearly all. Mm. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Thank goodness for stars that they have power. Cause it's the only fucking thing left on there. Like what Literally. the fuck? I mean, come on. All right, let's jump on over to Amazon MGM studios, the new moniker for them. Amazon MGM studios, the girl with the dragon tattoo series currently in the works at Amazon MGM studios has found its showrunner. Venus Sud will head up the series, which will be set in the world of the so-called millennial novels originally written by Stieg Larsson. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I forgot all about this. I forgot they were even doing a series because the last time we told you that it was even in development, was more than three years ago back in 2020 uh at that time no showrunner was attached it was originally reported to be a new standalone story about one of the novel's main characters lizbeth salander but current plot details remain under wraps so we don't know if that's true anymore amazon mgm studios will produce along with left bank pictures which is based at sony pictures television suds other works include the blumhouse film the lie and the quibi film series hybrid the stranger both of which she wrote and directed she also worked as a writer executive producer and showrunner on the cbs hit police procedural cold case so she's got some experience i think she'll be all right oh for sure (laughs) for sure well i mean amazon mgm studios is also developing a series adaptation of the Cosmixology origins graphic novel money oh the graphic novel which uh was co-created by kurt perez an artist 
and artist Luca Casarguinda sure. uh, is described <laughs> as a uh, conspiracy thriller. The logline states, everything you've heard about the global elite is true. Five families have ruled the world since the time uh, immoral. And every 10 years, an election is held to see which powerful family will be the next to lead. Hmm. To steer the, the direction of the world to execute their vision of the future. And this is the story of what happens next. No writer is currently attached to this project, though. Pires will serve as an executive producer alongside former Marvel television executive Kareem Zarik. And um, now Kareem's past credits include six live action Marvel Netflix shows, as well as Legion and several others. That sounds interesting. It um, really I would does. definitely check that one out. For sure. For sure. And this week's winner for the most stories coming out of Hollywood this week, Netflix. So let's run and gun right through these bad boys. Tyler Perry has formalized a new creative partnership with Netflix to write, direct, and produce feature films under a new multi-year first look deal. The pack spans eight pictures over four years. Perry already has five films under his belt at the streamer, A Fall from Grace, A Medea Homecoming, The Period Drama, A Jasmine's Blues, which was his longtime passion project, produced from his first screenplay, actually written 27 years ago. That's incredible. The upcoming World War II set drama 6888, and the thriller Mea Culpa. Now, as the news of the Netflix deal becomes public, Perry already has two projects in the works. 6888 tells the inspiring true story of the 6888th Postal Directory Battalion, the only all-black, all-female battalion to serve overseas during World War II. Producer and star Kerry Washington leads a stellar ensemble cast, including Oprah Winfrey, Ebony Obsidian, Malawana Jackson, Kylie Jefferson, Shanice Shante, Sarah Jeffrey, Pepe Sanuga, Janetta Goldlock, Maria Brown, Dean Norris, and Scott Daniel Johnson. Now, Perry wrote the screenplay based on the article by a Kevin M. Heimel published in World War II History Magazine, uh, which helped bring the story of the 6888th Battalion to a more prominent attention. That sounds like it's going to be anything with Oprah. I mean, oh, yeah. anything with Oprah is going to be good. We're, we're in. We're in. <laughs> well, I'm sure everybody saw Netflix did drop a new trailer for Bradley Cooper's Maestro that, of course, follows Leonard Bernstein's and life with his love of his life, Felicia, um, to life in the official, official trailer uh, for Maestro. Now, it is premiering in limited theaters on November 22nd and arriving on Netflix December 20th. Um, in the trailer, Cooper and Mulligan travel through time as the couple experiences love, betrayal, and, of course, music. The movie encompasses Birdsteed's professional life but glosses over his commercial achievements in favor of focusing on his complicated relationship with the love of his life. Um, that I will not pronounce that name. As well as trailer <laughs> sweeps through the years and in and out of uh, color in black and white. Cooper portrays the legendary American conductor and composer as he plays music to stuffy uh, attics and towering cathedrals. Uh, Cooper directed and co-wrote and produced this bad boy, of course, and is in as maestro himself, Leonard Bernstein, opposite of Mulligan, Matt Bomer, um, Maya Hawk, Sarah Silverman, Josh Hamilton, Scott Ellis, Gideon Gillick and so many others. But get this, guys. This guy, aka Bradley Cooper, has Martin Scorsese and 
and Steven Spielberg on to serve as producers. I mean, who else would you want? Yeah. I mean, two massive freaking legends. I mean, seriously. And and Cooper's quickly becoming one of his own. I mean, he's like, I knew he was directing and producing and starring in it. I had no idea he co-wrote it. This guy's just right? slaying, man. He's a, He started off on Alias, guys. I'm just saying. Remember when he was like a just a like Jennifer Garner's little whipping boy? Not anymore, man. Good for you, buddy. Good for you. Hey, do you guys miss Kira Knightley? Me too. Well, don't worry, she's coming back. Ben Wishaw and Sarah Lancashire are set to join Kira Knightley in Netflix's upcoming spy series, Black Doves. Now, more details about the series, which was written and created by the Lazarus Project showrunner Joe Barton, have also emerged. A story of friendship and sacrifice. Black Doves is set during Christmas time in London. It revolves around Helen Webb, played by Knightley, a politician's wife, doting mother, and professional spy. A wife, a mother, and a spy, of course. For years, Helen has been passing her husband's secrets to the Black Doves, the shadowy organization for whom she works. But when her lover, Jason, is assassinated, Helen's wife is turned upside down, and only her old friend, Sam Young, can keep her safe. Now, Helen and Sam set out to discover who killed Jason and why. But Sam, a suave champagne-drinking assassin, also has problems of his own. Out of the game since his last job went wrong, he soon realizes that his past is coming back to haunt him. Now, Lancashire will play Helen's enigmatic spymaster, Reed. Joining Knightley and Winksaw in the six-part series, which began shooting in London last week, are Andrew Buchan, Omari Douglas, Andrew Koji, Catherine Hunter, Sam Trona, Emily Ella Lily Highland, Adam Silver, Ken Swaw, and Gabrielle Creevy. Okay. That does sound is. interesting, though. I mean, that, it sounds like a good show. Should be good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Netflix also released the trailer for part one of the sixth and final season of yes. The Crown. Now, this one is set to release on November 16th. The final season will be split into two parts, like I just said, with the first four episodes exploring the new relationship between Princess Diana and Dodie Fade um, before their tragic car accident. The second half will consist of six episodes premiering on December 14th. Now, this centers back on Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles. Now, screen time is also dedicated to Prince William and Prince Harry grappling with their royal duties in wake of their mother's untimely death. The trailer hints at the overwhelmingly media frenzy that played a role in Princess Diana's death, in addition to depicting the family's relationship to the press after her passing. I know this is much anticipated. Yes, this is going to be interesting to watch, especially, yeah, I just, I can't wait. I also saw it a little, did you see the, just a little tidbit? Ted Sarandos was asked about it because, you know, Harry and Meghan have a deal with Netflix. And he said, yeah, it's a, it's an unspoken rule that there's a wall up. He doesn't talk about it and we don't talk about it. <laughs> Fact. Cool, just cool. step, okay, understood. I mean, I just, I love that he said that though. It's just like an unspoken rule. There's a wall. You keep your mouth shut. We'll keep our mouth shut. We'll just move on. Like, yeah, I, that's probably it. a smart move in all, all yeah. concerns. This sounds really good and interesting. 
four-time NBA champion LeBron James and Hall of Famers Peyton Manning have combined with the Obama's production company to contribute their own sports series centered around the NBA. Now, James's Spring Hill company, which he started with business partner Maverick Carter, will join Manning's production company, Omaha Productions. Omaha! Omaha! It's, of course it's named Omaha. And the Obama's Higher Ground. The series will divide up each episode following various NBA athletes as they live their lives, similar to the Netflix docuseries Quarterback, which followed three NFL quarterbacks during the 2022-23 football season. Now, the Obama's production company currently has a first-look deal with Netflix, so assumptions are being made that this is yet-to-be-filmed series will probably end up at Netflix. Uh, James co-founded Spring Hill Company with Mavericks Carter in 2008. Eight, the production company's credits include 2021 Space Jam A New Legacy, Netflix's Hustle starring Adam Sandler, and the talk show The Shop on YouTube. Uh, look, you've got LeBron, Peyton Manning, and the Obamas. It's going to fucking be good. It's going to be good. I'm just saying. Exactly. Well, and Netflix is now streaming Jennifer Lawrence's R-rated yes. comedy, No Hard Feelings. After the film scored at the box office this summer... In No Hard Feelings, Lawrence plays the Uber driver in the Hamptons whose car has been repossessed because she failed to pay her property taxes. She ends up answering a Craigslist ad post by a wealthy couple who are offering a car in return for a woman to date their socially awkward 19-year-old son to prep him for his upcoming college life. The movie notched a respectable $15 million at the box office in its opening weekend, ending its theatrical run with... 50.5 million domestic take and a total worldwide gross of 87.1 million dollars. No Hard Feelings was directed by Gene Stabotsky from the script he wrote with John Phillips. It's crazy that a comedy can barely break 30 anymore. Oh, but, uh, I know. Yeah, I and mean, from what I've heard, it's great. It's a fantastic film. I hope that you check it out now that it's on Netflix. It's so good. And it's not what they... The whole marketing team built this as like a raunchy sex film. Like, it's not. It's a really beautiful friendship story. I mean, about love and about being there for people and about overcoming social anxiety and finding out who you are and learning to be yeah it's a great film it's fucking great it's not a sex raunch comedy at all there is a scene okay sure where she's full-on naked full frontal and it's her she came out and said that's all me baby no nobody double no nothing that's me but that's it that's the only where you see any kind of anything um, it's a really good movie and not what they, like I said, I, I hope everybody sees it cause it's really, really good. Maybe one of my favorite Jennifer Lawrence films ever. Like, honestly, it's really, really good. Hey, David Yates, you were talking about that guy. He seems to be everywhere, isn't he? Well, now he's over here at Netflix and Pain Hustlers is now streaming on Netflix. Yates directs Emily Blunt and Chris Evans in the Netflix original film. Blunt stars as Liza Drake, a struggling mother who lands a job at a pharmaceutical startup to make money for her sick daughter. However, Liza has no idea the company is failing, fully-fledged illegal business, and she swiftly finds herself stuck in the middle of a racketeering scheme. Now, Andy Garcia, Catherine O'Hara, Jay Duplass, Brian Darcy, James, and Chloe Coleman also co-star in this bad boy. And after directing seven, as we told you earlier, Harry Potter-related movies, Yates now turns his attention to the real world, taking cinematic revenge on the rare fentanyl-dispensing pharma company, punished for breaking the rules that's where everybody's going thank you danny strong danny strong yeah. started that shit that's all i'm saying like 
Uh, yeah, that one does look good. It I does. Watch that one it too. does. Um, Netflix has set the voice cast for Carol and the End of the World. The animated adult series created by Dan Guterman will debut on December 15th. Martha Kelly will play in the title role. The series takes place as Extinction is intimate or immediate thanks to the mysterious planet hurtling towards Earth. While people feel liberated to pursue their wildest dreams, Carol quiet and always uncomfortable woman stands out lost amongst the histonic masses kelly best known for her starring roles in fx comedies basket as chip baskets um with zach galifianakis friend martha brooks uh in 2022 she guest starred in hbo's euphoria as a drug dealer lori which she earned an emmy nomination Kelly's other prominent critics include Gaslit on Stars, Hacks on Max, and The Great North on Fox. The ensemble of Carol and the End of the World also features Michael Chernis, Bridget Everett, Beth Grant, Lawrence Pressman, Kimberly Herbert Gregory, wow. and Delbert Hunt. Um, Carol and the End of the World is described as a love letter to routine. A show about the comforts of monotony, um, the animated and existential comedy about the daily rituals that make up the gaps that life makes up. So, boom. Boom. There you go. All right. Uh, let's jump on over to Apple. We're going to wrap this thing up with Apple. We got a couple stories there. And here's the bad news, guys. Apple's hiking its price for Apple TV+. Plus. The good news is, is it's still by far the cheapest. Yeah. <laughs> Apple has hiked the price of its Apple TV Plus streaming service for the second time in a year. The tech giant updated the pricing info for Apple TV+, Plus, along with its Apple Arcade and Apple News Plus subscription services and Apple One bundles on its website this past Wednesday. Now, the new price of Apple TV Plus is $9.99 a month in the U.S., up from $6.99. Uh, the annual price is increasing from $69 to $99 per year. Existing subscribers will see the price increases 30 days later. So I've got one more month at uh, $6.99. And then, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Um, Apple first raised the price of Apple TV Plus for the new and existing subscribers in October of last year when it kicked the subscription from $4.99 to $6.99 per month. Now, in addition to hiking the price of Apple TV Plus, the company is also raising the prices on Apple Arcade Unlimited Games package from $4.99 to $6.99 and Apple News Plus from $9.99 to $12.99 per month in the U.S. The first time it has raised fees for those two services. But, uh, guys... $9.99 is a steal. I'm just going to be honest yes. with you. It's it's quality over quantity there. While they don't have as many as all of the other streamers, they have got some seriously great shit on that streamer. Like, really good. It's worth the 10 bucks. I'm sorry. It is. It is. Well, we started the industry news with death, and we're ending the industry news with death. Um, the three-part documentary series about the murder of John Lennon, narrated by Kiefer Sutherland, Ooh. is coming to Apple TV+. Now, it's titled John Lennon, A Murder Without a Trial. The docuseries features exclusive eyewitness interviews and previously unseen crime scene photos shedding new light on the life and murder of music and cultural icon John Lennon. And the investigation and conviction of Mark David Chapman, uh, his confessed killer, according to the press release. Now, Murder Without a Trial is being touted as the most thorough researched and examination of John Lennon's 1980 murder, as it was granted extensive access to New York City Police Department 
Border Patrol and District Attorney's Office through Freedom of Information Act requests. In addition to exclusive interviews with the with those closest to Lennon at the time of his murder, the series also takes a close look at the motivations of the killer through conversations with Chapman's defense lawyer, psychiatrist, prosecutors, and detectives. News of Lennon's documentary comes with the announcement of what is being billed as the last Beatles song, Now and Then, which will release on November 2nd. The song includes contributions from all four members, Lennon, McCarthy, Harrison, and Ringo Starr, uh, but was only recently completed. So that's very interesting. But yeah, I'm sure that documentary is going to go over really well. Oh, I'm all in. I can't wait to watch that thing. Plus the last song, because sh- I saw the previews for that too, and it's Ringo and Paul decided to finish it. They said, let's go and finish it. And they're using footage from when all four of them were working on it. And that wow. looks really, really good. So that's going to be... See, this is what I'm talking about. Well worth the 10 bucks. They've got like great quality stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah. And just quick shout outs. Cause you, this popped in my head because of what you just said about us wanting Peacock to succeed and NBC universal to really kind of get it going. They're not allowed to talk about it, but I want to talk about it. Jesse L. Martin and the irrational and our friend, our buddy, our beloved, she's so amazing. Shinola Hampton with found. Both of those shows are kicking ass in the ratings right now, and they are phenomenal, y'all. If you haven't jumped on board, they're available on Peacock to watch. Get on board. Both of those shows are outstanding. You should be watching them, and it's one of the reasons why you should hop over and get on Peacock because they're just they're amazing. And congrats, Shinola. As soon as you can talk, Shinola, we want you back on the show. Yes. <laughs> You're one of our faves. You were so great the last time. We want to talk to you about I have so many questions about this show. Oh, my God. All right. That's so funny. Yeah, I'm watching The Continental right now, and it's another great miniseries See? that they have. So, yes. I mean, it's, it's definitely worth it, man. It's definitely worth it. But we're now heading over to our top five segment, which this week it is film franchises that should have just had one freaking film. I mean, let, let's be honest about it. There's some out there where we're like, why are they putting out another one? I don't understand. But <laughs> I'm sh- I was actually shocked with one of yours. I'm just going to say it. I was shocked because really? we were just talking about this the other week and you seemed like you really like with Sandra Bullock and you were like, no, I re-. so yeah, I was shocked by it. I was shocked by it, but okay. In the original, in the original franchise. Um, but Number five for me goes to the Cars franchise, um, which also branched off into airplanes and like a whole bunch of different stuff. Pixar kind of, I don't know, lost their lackluster a little bit. I mean, we've kind of seen that in current films, too. Mm -hmm. But with Cars, I mean, the first one was such a classic. Right. And I I feel like sometimes with Pixar movies the the further they go into their progression and trying to tell more stories from specific artists it doesn't necessarily have the same effect it's kind of retelling the same story just with a different pin i guess um so that i mean that's kind of why i decided to put cars on here because i absolutely love the first one don't get me wrong um but then i just i felt like it lost its lackluster you know um as a as a child movie I felt like the first one, there was nothing to capital. I, you couldn't capitalize more. Um, so, yeah, I just had to put that on my list. Cars. 
No, that that's a good one, and I agree with you. Look, I think they were just trying to hope to capitalize on the success of Toy Story. Like, oh, look, yeah. we can tell numerous ones. Well, Toy Story works. You can tell Andy's whole story, and that works. Exactly. And I hope that The Incredibles learns, because it should stop it, too. The second yeah. one was a nice follow-up just to show you where they were at, right? It's like Superman 1, Superman 2. Don't touch it. Leave it. Don't fuck it up. So I'm right there with you. I think Cars was just not one of those stories that needed to be told and told and told and told. So, um, yeah, good choice. Good choice. My number five, I feel the same way about. American Pie. It was fucking hilarious. The first one was so good about just awkward coming-of-age story with Gene Levy and, like, so good. It was so funny. The second one I can live with. It was okay. It was a... But now the the like they're so far down. The main characters aren't even the main characters anymore. Now you've got them visiting, you know, Eugene Levy. It's not even his family. It's just like they're so far removed from what made the first one so fucking funny. It, right. It's like you know when you can't get your original cast members back, that should tell you everything about you need to stop making them. I just exactly um that I would have been fine if that was just a one off. Like I said, I'm okay with the second one. I could live with that. It was still pretty good. Not as good as the first, but it was still eh. But after that, just stop. Just stop. I don't need to see American Pie colon whatever. American Pie colon I don't care. I'm done with American Pie, okay? That, it's like just move the fuck on. That's all I'm saying. Exactly, exactly. Well, for my number four, um, I think just with the confusion of – the storyline with all of these, right? Mm, I mean, mm. there's so many out there that I feel like it just became a cluster to where like you didn't really want to follow up and probably shouldn't have at least. So I'm talking about Halloween, the Halloween franchise, because we all know that multiple Halloweens came after the first one. And then Rob Zombie did his interpretation of Halloween. Um, so I feel like, you know, if you wanted to have the original Halloween and then bring it back to these, the newer franchise, because I felt like all of those did the story justice. Right. Right. Um, but with everything in between, I just, it was so bad. Yeah. Like it just wasn't the same scare. It wasn't the same type of movies that the original was. Um, and like the storylines and I was watching like a TikTok about like, the the all the different storylines and there's like five different quote unquote storylines to try to piece them all together i'm like this is just ridiculous yeah. you know yeah. i just like i said love the first one and love the the newest three but everything in between had me just like you know what they should have just left it at one and it would have been a cult classic um but i mean as you've kind of said because everybody knows we just watched The Exorcist. They should have did the same thing with The Exorcist. So, Yeah, just get rid of all that other stuff. And if you wanted to come back to it with this new one, which brings back the original cast, or at least the ones who are still alive, and tries to continue the story, okay. But yeah, all the stuff in between, just I totally agree with you. The first Halloween, maybe even the second one, okay. But yeah, then when you had all that other shit in between, just, yeah, it awful. it's awful. Don't do it. Like, I like how these last three are cleaning it up, and they're kind of like, okay, that's fine. But yeah, all the other shit in between. Um, 
My number four. I'm probably going to take a, a little bit of hate for this, but I don't care because it, it needs to be said. The Matrix. Ladies and gentlemen, The Matrix was one film. It was a one-off. It should have been a one-off. It was fucking brilliant. It was mind-bending. It made you think, are we all living in a fucking fake-ass world where we're hooked up to a machine and we don't even know it kind of a thing? Brilliant. You should have just left it there. You should have left it there, have people wondering, what the fuck? It was so over-the-top crazy and so damn good. It, two and three sucked. It just, there was no need to continue it. You had like this amazing story that made you think, made you go, what the fuck did I just watch? It was groundbreaking with the technology. It was like all this guy. When you have something like that, leave it like that. Just to continue to go with it fucks up the legacy of what you had, which was one badass fucking awesome movie. And you fucked it up. By the time three came, nobody gave a shit about the first one anymore. And that's where the problem was, because the first one was so fucking good, and you fucked it up by going to the third one. I mean, just... Sometimes when you have something really special, you should just leave it alone. And, and, and yeah, The Matrix, in my opinion, is one of those. You should have just left it at one, walked away, and forever rode that hit that you had. Like, it would have been for decades and decades and decades, like you said, a cult classic that everybody would go back and visit. You didn't need the other two. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> well, my number three, that this one goes to the Oceans franchise. Um, just because I watched all three of them, like, in like a weekend and you could just tell like it just they just got worse and worse um so that's really the only reason why i'm saying it because i love the story i think it's very you know interesting and i love the cast obviously um but it was just one of those things where like the first one was so good and like so perfect that you know Again, kind of like with cars, it's hard to live up to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then to t keep trying to do that, even though they kind of set up in the first one, you know, that they were, it was going to be a continuation with him having multiple casinos and there's three that they want to take down and all that. But I don't know. The writing was just got worse, in my opinion. So I just felt like it was very cheesy and not the good type of cheese. Um, so it just, I just, it just wasn't that. It wasn't hidden for me. It wasn't hidden. So, yeah, number three for me, the Oceans franchise. But you're just clarifying about the original because you're okay with, like, the all-female one and then the prequel that they're talking about maybe doing. You're Correct. okay with those. Just the original stop. Yeah. Okay. All right, because I was confused by that. I was like, we were literally just talking about how much you liked the other ones. But that makes sense to me. Okay, I'm, I'm no, totally 11, 12, and 13. Oh, yeah. without uh, doubt. 12 and 13, I didn't like those. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. My number three is the epitome of one that you stop at one. Paranormal Activity. Again, another brilliant film. Build as a real haunting, caught on tape. Oh my God, terrifying, ah, and it was. And the marketing was brilliant behind it. It was kind of like Blair Witch, but a little bit different, you know, where it's like something caught on tape and you don't know. It was absolutely terrifying. It was awesome. It was amazing. Stop. Stop. You, you didn't need a second one, a third one, a fourth one, whatever, because then, and then you blew it because 
after the huge success of the first one, you came out with the secret. Okay, it's not found footage. It isn't real. It was all made up. It was scripted. Exactly. So you knew that going into all the rest of them. So the, the magic of it being a found videotape of an actual haunting... It doesn't work anymore because you blew the fucking secret about what it actually is. So we don't need five more fucking movies of something we know is bullshit. Like, I just, you know, it's like when they try to come whack with Blair Witch 2. We know it's bullshit now. We know it's bullshit. Blair Witch was so fucking scary and so was the first paranormal. They were really creepy because you thought, fuck, that shit's real. Oh, my God. Somebody finally fucking got it on tape or whatever. But no. Once you blow the secret, you blow the secret. So now not only are the first ones not fun to watch, but for sure all the sequels ain't fun to watch because we all know paranormal activity. Exactly. Please stop. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was an interesting time in Hollywood because they, they did a lot of those movies. They where did. It was like very POV. Just yeah. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah. I, I just, hated it. I yeah. hated it. Yeah. Um, number two for me goes to the man who keeps making the same movie just as a different title. And I'm not talking about Tom Cruise. I'm talking about <laughs> Liam Neeson and his Taken franchise. Um, the first one was great. I'm such a freaking awesome, you know, retired spy trying to help his daughter out, find her, rescue her, all that good stuff. Great movie. But then you just kept going, telling the same story. And now telling the same story under a different name and it's just oh it's so exhausting like basically all liam neeson does is these movies now um which sucks because he's a pretty decent actor um but yeah man i mean you know that specific set of skills can only get you so far in hollywood that um did not did not help anyone else about but himself yeah um, no. so yeah number two for me the taken franchise yeah i wish somebody would find the taken franchise and kill them like that's yeah. what i would i wish would happen you know somebody with another particular set of skills find this fucking franchise and kill it you're right Literally. though it isn't even just taken and taken two and taken three it's other movies that aren't even actually taken but they're fucking taken because it's yeah. the same fucking shit yeah you're so right oh so frustrating so frustrating my number two seems like an obvious it seems like an obvious this was the first the first official film that was deemed a summer blockbuster it kicked off what we know now as to be the summer blockbuster films the tent poles baby it's all in jaws we only needed one jaws Jaws 2 was okay. It was okay. Let's follow up. Let's see how they're dealing with it. Is everything okay? But Jaws 3 in 3D, Jaws 4, Jaws whatever the fuck, Jaws Revenge, whatever the fuck we're on now. We don't, I'm not buying the fucking relatives of the first fucking Jaws are coming to take on revenge for all the fucking Jaws that were killed. Like, come the fuck on. Like... Again, this was a brilliant, terrifying fucking movie that made you never want to go to the fucking beach ever again. I was never getting in the fucking ocean. No way. Fuck you. Not happening. Leave it there. It's brilliant. We didn't need Jaws 2 or Jaws 3 or any of that. Come on, a shark terrorizing a fucking water park? Come on. In 3D? What the fuck? It's just, 
it's one of those examples like it made a lot of money so let's do more <laughs> it's like you just ruined one of spielberg's best fucking films by exactly. just killing it and killing it and killing it like it's just jaws just so let's not find, make we we know now we know why you're so white it's because of Jaws. You're so pasty because you won't go to the beach. It's because of Jaws. I go to the beach. I just don't get in the water, which is odd That's... because I love the water. I love to swim. I was on the swim team for Christ's sake. I love to swim. But yeah, there was a time. I mean, that movie came out when I was a kid and I was like, fuck you. I am not going to the beach and I am not getting in the fucking water. That shark will kill me. I still, even now when I go in the water in the beach... I still am kind of nervous. I, I'll admit yeah. it. I'm like, fuck. Because every day we're hearing about shark stories. I'm like, fuck that. Jaws fucking Jaws will fuck you up. And that's why I'm saying it's one of those cult classics that you should have just left it at one and have every generation thereafter be fucking scared to go in the water. Now it's a joke. Now you're like, it ooh, is. if I go to Marine World, I'm going to get attacked by a shark. Oh, it's like, what the fuck? Just like, you know. Jaws. It's so funny. Jaws. It's so funny. Um, my number one goes to scary movie. Uh, the original is so great and it's the definition of a parody movie making fun of the world we're living in or other content or things like that. But then not only the scary movie go off into its own realm, but then there are all of these other parody movies also come after it because Basically, you have yeah. like pair, you have parodies of like the hunger games. You have parodies of, all of these other content that just it wasn't good it just was not good it is dumb humor that i feel like the lowest individual will like i'm not saying that's for everybody but i just i just i just could not get behind it because you can only be under the influence so many hours of the day man i'm just saying like it's you, you can't do it all do these it. nerds are going all at you right now well it's uh, it's coming fine. at you they're like what do you mean certain kind of people it, it's, it's fine because, I mean, that's no yeah. it's true oh i know exactly. i probably pissed off a bunch of matrix people it's fine mm. now my number one I'm going to say the title and then I'm ending it because there is no explanation needed. And if you think there's an explanation needed, you're fucked up. You're, you're, you're just, you're fucked up. My number one, the fast and the furious time to go on to the box office. You don't need an explanation for that. The fa fast X, the next one's supposed to be in outer fucking space. Fast and the furious should have ended at one. If you were going to continue it at all, it should have ended with Paul Walker's fucking death. Yeah. We should not be at 10. No. So I'm saying. I have nothing else to say about it. This movie needs to fucking die. Just yeah. Just go the yeah. fuck out. Just that that's where I stopped after he died. I like I can't yeah, can't no. watch anymore. No, of it. It's no. not it's not the same. He is literally the main character. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's, it's Vin. Yeah. Get another fucking job, bro. Get another literally. fucking job. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, you know, Reddit didn't work, so it is what it is. Um, <laughs> he made enough money fucking office. off of Groot. I am yeah. Groot. What do you got? Like exactly. $500 million to say, I am Groot. You don't need the fucking franchise anymore. Just let the exactly. shit go. Exactly. Exactly. Heading over the box office recap. Oh, my goodness, guys. It was a good week. I will say that. Um, number one was Taylor Swift's with the Eras Tour. Uh 33.2 million remember this is last week like we reported in the industry news five nights of freddy's is killing it right now 
Um, number two was Flower, or Killers of the Flower Moon with 23.3 million. Number three was The Exorcist, The Believer with 5.7. Paw Patrol still hanging in there at number four with 4.4. And The Nightmare Before Christmas came back in to the theaters with 4.3 million. Yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised that uh, that one got such high numbers for that. I, that's, that is a cult classic. That people love that. Concept. Don't come out with Nightmare Before Christmas 2. We don't need it. Everybody exactly. fucking loves this one. Just don't touch it. It's fine. Don't don't give us anything else. And congratulations, Taylor, uh, on your entry into the Billionaire Club. $1.1 yeah. $1. $1 billion net worth now. Congratulations. Uh, I see many, many more billions to come for you. you sh- Jesus, she's still only like 30-something. Like, I mean, just exactly. this woman, man. But congrats. Well-deserved. Exactly, exactly. Well, there's nothing really coming out this week instead, unless it's Five Nights at Freddy's, so be sure to check that one out. I guess um, our well, Jason, our podcast producer, I guess, not a fan of uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Apparently not. <laughs> um, but remember, guys, The Marvels is yes. November 10th. The Marvels is November 10th. The movies you can still go see, uh, Saw X, The Creator, Haunting in Venice, The Blind, The Nun, and then all of the movies that I had mentioned above. Um, and for IMDb Pro's top trending segment, the top trending movie is Killers of the Flower Moon. Makes sense. Um, I mean, I was very surprised to see, you know, a good amount. What what was it? It was in the 80s, I thought, percent yeah. of the, the people going to see it are people under the age of 35. I definitely give Oppenheimer the credit for that. I oh, feel like that doubt. definitely turned around um, – some things to the audience so i'm glad to see more people are seeing story driven films it was a really good film so i would definitely recommend to go out and see it um the top trending tv show is the fall of the house of usher or gen v again still rocking and rolling in that (laughs) and the top trending star is carla uh jagano um rocking and rolling there but we know who's going to be the top trending star next week unfortunately (laughs) yeah 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 uh, for but all the anyway, wrong guys, reasons, but all the wrong reasons. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for getting crazy with us on two thirty nine of Itcaf podcast. Yes. Next one is going to be two forty. Absolutely wild, man! Wild. So freaking crazy. Yeah. But you guys know where to follow us on social media at Itcaf Podcast, at Crazy Ant Media, and at Everything's OKP. We have a new episode coming out next week of Everything's Okay, so be sure to check that out. It's going to be about breakups. It's going to be about breakups. Um, and, of course, you guys know you can follow us personally on social media. Myself, at JLoganAustin, and at CrazyAntCEO. That's right. And you guys know you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher, and more. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, we appreciate you. Be sure to hit that like button below. Subscribe to the channel and ring the bell for all the latest and greatest notifications coming out of Crazy Ant Media. And then, of course, visit our website, www.crazyantmedia.com, where you can see everything that's going on here at Crazy Ant Media. And you can also check out our merchandise right now. The Halloween stuff is still available. I'll say until the end of next week. And then we'll put out some Thanksgiving gear so you guys can start getting into the festivities and all the good stuff. But man, oh man, what a week of news in Hollywood, right? Ooh, yeah, the highs and lows. I think this uh, this week's show kind of took you through 
every single emotion, the roller coaster of emotions, of emotions from the highs, the lows, the happies, the sads. It was all in there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, man. And anytime, you know, that, that we can talk about Marvel or anytime we can talk about, you know, any kind of thing, that's always fun, man. It, it, I, you know, I just, I love talking about what, well, unfortunately, lately, what isn't happening in the industry. Yeah, right. But what is and is not happening. It's just, I love it, man. It is great. It is great. And it's always great to have uh, industry news pertaining to the one, the only, Oprah! Oprah!